0: Welcome to the How to Hunt Deer podcast, which is brought to you by Tacticam. This podcast aims to educate those who are interested in becoming deer hunters, brushing up on essential skills, or maybe just adding a few new tactics to the toolkit. Here we cover a variety of topics that are going to help you be more confident and successful in the field while you're hunting deer. Thank you so much for tuning in with us this week. I'm your host, Josh Raley. We've got a great show in store for you. I was able to catch up with my buddy, Greg Kasmirski from Whitetail Partners, Ohio, Now, Greg is a habitat consultant and real estate agent based in Ohio, uh, but the guy knows his stuff when it comes to hunting public land, specifically in hill country. This is that time of year when everybody is thinking about uh, either postseason scouting or even getting some boots on the ground to go out and try to find some sheds. And so I thought it would be a great time to have Greg come on and pick his brain a bit about how he approaches hill country and, you know, picking things apart in the big hill country of Ohio. Now there's a ton of content out there about finding, you know, buck sign or buck beds or whatever in Hill Country. So in this episode, I tried to take it a step further and ask some questions or talk about some things that I'm not necessarily hearing a lot about when we're thinking about Hill Country. As you know, I moved to Georgia, oh gosh, almost two years ago now. And when I moved to Georgia, I moved from the sort of flatland, lowland, marshy terrain of southern Wisconsin to the hill country of Georgia. Now, the hill country is great because there's a lot to dictate deer movement, but it can also be pretty tough. It can present some challenges when it comes to access, when it comes to lower deer densities than a lot of locations. Uh, lots of things that go along with hunting in hill country. So, so great episode with Greg. Really really glad he could come on. I think you're going to learn something. I hope you enjoy the show. All right, everybody, welcome back to the How to Hunt Deer podcast. On the line with me today, I've got Mister Greg Kazmierski from Ohio. Greg, welcome back to the show.
1: Thanks for having me, Josh. Always yeah. happy to be here.
0: Absolutely, man. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming back on, Greg. Uh, you and I work together with Whitetail Partners, and uh, I love having you on this show to to talk about deer and deer hunting and deer scouting specifically because you're you got a little bit of a mix to you, man. Not only in your hunting styles, but like where you've hunted in the past and just your whole kind of upbringing around that. So for those who maybe haven't caught episodes that we've done before this, why don't you tell us a little bit about you, kind of how you got into hunting and what your hunting has looked like for you across that journey?
1: Yeah, so starting out, um, I grew up in northern Michigan, actually, and it was a really traditional like northern Michigan hunting experience where we had a family deer camp we would go to during rifle season. Uh, I would go out and bow hunt with my dad on the weekends. So from a really young age, I was spending a lot of time out in the woods, And uh, but with like the true northern Michigan hunting tradition, it was we had designated hunting spots that we would go to every single year mm <laughs> And there wasn't really like a ton of scouting that was done. It was more so like predetermined setups. This is where we're going to hunt and we're going to kind of wait for the deer to come to us. So a lot of growing up, that's what it was like for me. And uh, it wasn't until like my late teenage years, uh, when I was getting towards the end of college, I started traveling down to Ohio to start hunting public land. And that's where my eyes kind of opened up to all of the different possibilities out there. And that's when I started doing like more of the run and gun stuff uh, just checking out different pieces of public land and, uh, really exploring like what there was to offer and also getting my eyes opened up to the quality of deer and how the deer in Northern Michigan were a heck of a lot different than what I would find when I made my trips down to Ohio. So from there, I really just, um, started getting closer with a couple guys that were into the same thing as I was. And we started traveling to places, Ohio, Wisconsin, you know, we were, we were going to a couple different States and, um, now it's just kind of blossomed into, obviously, like you mentioned, we work together and I help people on their private properties. But, um, from a personal standpoint, I'm pretty much have my toes dipped into just about everywhere I go Um, I always like to have spots and I think I'm at the point now where I enjoy the scouting aspect almost as much or more than uh, sitting in a tree during the fall so
0: man you're exactly right and that's one of the things that that I so appreciate about you is is that you're you're so well-rounded right like you've you've kind of done it all and you're kind of still actively doing it all it's not like well, I used to hunt public land and now I just help people with private. Like you're still, you're still involved in a little bit of everything. <clears throat> I want to circle back to a couple of different things that you said. One of them at the very beginning, you talked about, uh, you know, for that, that Michigan uh, deer season, we had our spot. So there'd be a place that's like, that's Greg's spot, you know, or whatever. And, you know, that's so ingrained in hunting tradition. What was it that went into those locations uh that made them like the spot that you were going to be hunting for the year and how has that how has your thought process around choosing a location to hunt changed since then and i i asked this just almost so that we can kind of look back and chuckle at ourselves because i used to be the same way i mean we had like three tree stands out three ladder stands and you know we went to one of those three places every single time that we hunted if we didn't go to a to a a blind somewhere right? You know, and there were some things that went into why we chose that spot. So I'm curious to hear yours.
1: Yeah. So for me, um, like I kind of fell into the deer hunting, the deer camp tradition and it was my dad and his cousin, you know, they did spend a ton of time boots on the ground scouting and our deer camp was yeah. up in Michigan's upper peninsula. So like they would always go up there in the spring. They're really big into trout fishing and they would spend a lot of time walking around the woods and just really understanding the general, uh, land around where our cabin was up there. And they just really kind of determined like, okay, here are the best spots. This is how we're going to hunt. You know, they, they use uh, feed up there. So like, that's a big part of the strategy is where are the most high traffic areas that the feed can attract the deer. And it was just, um, kind of like one of those things where, why are we even questioning what we already know? So that was just how I was raised hunting and, you know, they had success every year. It was always shooting bucks and they were always seeing deer every hunt and this and that so it was just, there was really no qu- reason to question why, because things were working. And then like how things have changed now, it's like, man, I can't even really say it's the same universe because it's so different for me because I go in and I have – specific chunks of public land that I will only hunt like October 5th to the 12th because I know that these are really good areas when the white oaks are dropping I can catch the tail end of it and I won't even bother going on that entire thousand acre piece the rest of the season because I just know they're the bucks that I'm after aren't going to be there so like I can't even compare the evolution that I've gone through and to like think about how much more growth I have that's what keeps me going and wanting to still hunt public land and still hunt private land and do all of these different experiences because like i feel like i'm just literally still tapping the well
0: on all of the knowledge available out there right man and that's i hear so many guys who hunt so differently you know so like wisconsin we i lived there for for three years um their guys bow hunt very seriously during the rut and they're all about the strategy and they're all about you know what we're doing <clears throat> to try to get on a mature buck and then Gun season rolls around, and it's like the tradition takes over. And they go out and they shoot the first forky that walks by them from grandpa's stand. Not to say that that's bad, but just to say they're after a different experience with that style of hunting. And to me, it's so cool that there are so many guys that can still relate to that so much. Like that is still their, you know, that they want both experiences. They want to hunt a big mature buck during the pre rut and rut. And then they want to enjoy the gun season as well, and the tradition, and the camaraderie, and everything that goes along with a with a Wisconsin deer season. And I just, I don't know, they are two very different universes. But I love seeing guys who are who see the positive in both experiences, and and still kind of want to do a little bit of all of it. I don't know. I just think that's yeah. that's such a cool thing. But um, <clears throat> one of the things you mentioned is moving down to Ohio and the quality of deer that's different there. Uh, when I talk to guys, one of the things I always Uh, emphasize in these kinds of conversations is the number one thing that sets apart people who we see, especially on social media, killing big deer year after year, the guys you hear about on the podcasts, the guys you're watching on YouTube, the number one thing that differentiates those who are getting it done at that scale. And the guys who aren't getting it done is to be 100% honest with you, access to high quality ground. There are no people out there shooting booners where booners don't exist, right? <laughs> there are no people out there having five, six encounters with mature bucks when there aren't mature bucks around to be chasing. You move to Ohio, things are a little different. Walk me through uh, kind of how you maybe had to adjust a little bit, even from a scouting perspective, because I went from a place with very few mature bucks to Wisconsin and scouting's very different. So walk me through how you kind of process that.
1: Yeah. So once I, uh, once I did graduate college, uh, I, I played college ball. So that spent, that was like a lot of my time. I didn't really have a lot of time to commit to hunting. And it was really when I finished my plane was when I started traveling down to Ohio. And my goal at that time was like, I was coming down here, I would, I would make like the five hour drive from where I lived in Michigan drive down and I would scout for like two days, get as much as info as I could, and then head home, pull cameras, do all that good stuff. And when I was doing that, I was kind of rushing the process. And like, I always knew like, okay, there's good deer in Ohio, but I really never knew how to find them where once I moved down here, And I was able to become intimate with a piece of ground, whether that be public or private. And I was able to spend time just observing how deer were becoming deer. I, I, I then began to understood like, okay, the, this is how the bigger, the better and the more mature bucks are using this specific piece of land. And then once I really started to key in on that, I was able to take that and then I could go to the next piece of property and figure out the same thing. And I could go to the next piece and figure out the same thing. So it was really just being able to not be in like that rush state of mind and just understanding the sign as I was reading it because there are there I've been hunting the same pieces of public land for, five or six years now. And years one and two, I could have told you there's not a buck bigger than 120 inches on this property. And I look at that now and I can have a trail camera within a couple hundred yards of where I did years one and two. And I can say that, okay, I'm got a chance to go after a Booner this year because they exist. It's just that it's a little bit different than the average person is going to see.
0: Right, right. Let's jump into that then. So our, our big topic for the day, is finding big bucks in, in, in Hill Country, right? And I think some of the things that we're going to talk about are relevant for Hill Country, no matter if you're in Ohio or Pennsylvania, the Hill Country of Wisconsin, Hill Country of Georgia, Hill Country of Tennessee, Virginia, where, wherever you are. If you've got Hill Country, uh, deer, as, as I often say on this show, deer do deer things, right? And while there are some, you know, site-specific things sometimes that make me kind of scratch my head and say, Hmm. I wonder why they're doing that thing. Uh, you know, in big picture speaking, deer do deer things. So where are some of the places I get, I guess the best place to start may be when it comes to big bucks in hill country, because there's so much good content out there about hill country and because hills do, uh, dictate deer movement to a certain degree. What are some of those places where you're finding success? Because, you know, I, I look at things like, um, Let's say uh, a saddle, for instance. Saddles were huge. They were all the rage for a while, you know, in, in the podcasting space. Everybody's talking about hunting saddles, and, and then it was really, really hard to kill them, right, in a, in a saddle. Now you can go look at a saddle on public land, and you're like, there are no deer using this saddle. Like, it's just, it's just not here. So what are some of the, I guess, backups? Or, like, where are you finding these bucks when the, the typical, you know, leeward, you know, point doesn't have a bed on it? like it's supposed to.
1: Yeah. um, So for me, man, honestly, like I think that these deer are traditionally using like the features that you can still see on YouTube videos or hear about on podcasts and where the deer are spending time are generally going to be the same. I just think that you may not know that they're there if you're not accessing and hunting that piece properly. And I think like, that's the most beautiful thing, about hill country to me is that from being able to spend so much time on the the bigger pieces of public land in the Hills here in Ohio, I've met some guys that nobody's ever heard of because they don't do social media and they're straight up killers and they all hunt different ways. Everybody's got a different strategy. And like, that's the, that's the thing is that it's really just continuously stacking up things that work for you to make you better. And like things you notice, and like that's, what's going to be the secret sauce to help you find out where these bigger bucks are living in hill country, because I have a piece that I hunt that I hung a trail camera on a logging road just to collect inventory. Well, what it ended up being was it picked up a lot of hunting pressure. Like I knew there was other people hunting the piece, but you wouldn't believe how many people were actually hunting the piece until you pulled my trail camera. Mm. Um, there's so many guys using it and, what I did instead of getting discouraged and saying, man, there's a lot of guys hunting here. I feel like I'm wasting my time. I'm like, I already know, because I have the trail camera data that there's big bucks here and I know that the pressure's here. So like, those are the two things that I can't control, but I am after those big bucks. So how are those big bucks able to live here with that much hunting pressure? Well, they're doing something that is allowing them to stay in the advantage and know when all of these guys are coming in off of that logging road. So to me, I knew that their attention was going to be focused to the majority of the pressure. So my Avenue to get in and slip into these bucks was to, in my term backdoor them and come up from the steep hill slope and then kind of get them on their backward exit route once this pressure came in. So it's just like being able to adapt to the situation where I like to use like the general points and saddles and drainage tops as my starting point when I'm dissecting a hill country piece, but it's taking it that step further. And it's like, if you find that hunter sign, well, it's like, okay, I got to kind of make a little tweak, a little adjustment and get into a place where the people aren't. And it's just like these small little micro adjustments, but man, I'm going to be completely honest. Like, I don't know if in my mind, anyway, like, I don't think it's possible to go into a, hill country piece of ground on the first year you've scouted and hunted it and say that you have it all figured out. I just don't believe it. If somebody can do it, you know, like my hat's off to them, but there's pieces I've been walking around for a couple of years now and I might get lucky and get, get onto a pretty good buck, but man, I still feel like I I learned something new every time I step foot out there.
0: Right. And man, that long-term view of hunting a piece of public is I think what we don't have anymore now that we're now that, you know, just across the board, public land hunters have shifted hard towards this running gun, very aggressive style of hunting over the last couple of years. We've seen that, you know, and it, it certainly seems like that that may lead to less year over year familiarity and intimacy with an area where we start to really figure out what the deer do at any given time of the season. So you mentioned something there that I've talked with several others about, and it seems to be a common theme in those who are successful scouting, you know, uh, hill country types of pieces. And it is, yeah, we're using those main features that are going to be the draw, right? It's the saddle or it's the bench or it's whatever feature. And then we're backing off of those. Like we're looking around them, For we're going deeper than that, you know, looking for those more subtle things. What are some of the really subtle things that have stood out to you over the years that have, you know, maybe paid dividends that guys maybe just wouldn't even notice if they weren't boots on the ground looking for it?
1: yeah so i think for starters like what i like to do is i like to gather inventory with like these more obvious features um which is obvious you know it's tricky because if you look at a big saddle on a map everybody can see that saddle like anybody else who hunts that piece knows that saddle there so it's like why is my trail camera gonna pick up the bucks or is my trail camera gonna get stolen whatever it may be but however you got to get crafty with it to put your camera in that right location like that's where i like to start is to get inventory to get that confirmation that okay there is a buck here that i want to spend time scouting and from there um i'll go and like the actual features that i'm going to look to target those bucks i like to call them micro features where you look at it and if you're looking at a topo map from that thirty thousand foot view it It's nothing more than a little blip or a curved line on the the otherwise straight and narrow on a a contour line. And once you get there, it's like there's some kind of washout or there's just like a little flat spot. Mm -hmm. To me, like that's how these deer can like connect the dots through a ridge is wherever the easiest elevation line is, is how they're going to get from point A to B to C to D. And then it's combining that with knowing that these points are either above or below a point of interest for that buck to cruise through the area. So like if I can find a couple of flat benches that connect along a quarter mile ridge, and I know at the very top of that ridge is a lot of doe activity, whether it be bedding or just a social feeding area, then I know there's a very high likelihood towards the end of October that those points that I scouted during this time of year are going to be worth my time during that pre-rut and rut time frame so i think it's like i it's those little micro features that you would very easily overlook and it's like it just happened to me the other day i've scouted this ridge man i don't even know how many times a dozen times by now i've walked this same the same quarter mile stretch and just the last time I went out there was the first time I noticed this piece, this little uh, blip on the map. And I went there, massive scrape, found my first shed of the year. Like it was all right there. I'm like, well, you know, obvi- <laughs> obviously there's a buck here at least one time because I found the shed, but this scrape also tells me like, I just overlooked this the last 12 times I've been here and here it is. But um, definitely those micro features are what I'm trying to identify.
0: Right. And that's, that is a super interesting piece to me. So I, I moved to Georgia, what, two years ago almost now and started scouting in, in like legit Hill country. Now it's not at the scale of some of the big, you know, real big terrain stuff of like Virginia and other places, but I mean, bigger than I'm used to, right. When it comes to Hills, i really cut my teeth in either the rolling hills of Alabama uh, or even there in Wisconsin, you know, doing a lot of flatland kind of stuff. So uh, this, these were big hills to me. But one of the things I noticed as I'm scouting, I'm like, there is no upper third deer trail. There is no lower third deer trail. There's no ridgetop deer trail. There is not a trail here, period. But then I would find, like you're saying, these micro features where there's a washout and boom, for 50 yards around that washout, there's a huge beat down trail. The rest of the time they're just going wherever they want to. But that micro feature, that washout, or you know, one spot was a was a particular buck bed, on either side of this bed, you could tell the movement condensed down right there. And all of a sudden that was a, a high odds place to be. For a lot of the rest of it though, they're just where are they walking? Well, wherever they darn well pleased to walk today. You know, like but but beginning to connect some of those micro features is a is a huge part of that. Um how important to you is some of the traditional stuff like food and bedding when it comes to you know hunting in hill country so there are guys who like bedding is everything they're setting up on a buck bed in hill country because that's the buck they're after they're banking on him being in that bed there are other guys who are like well <clears throat> you know I'm way more interested in in what they're calling feed trees or whatever like I'm I'm here for the oaks then there are other guys that are more just like general movement focused you know where it's like I'm just catching deer between A and B like yeah, I know there's some thick stuff over there. There's some oaks over there. I'm in the middle of them hunting this movement. How important are some of those specifics of like bedding and food for you?
1: Uh, That's going to depend on one location and two, the time of the year. So like for the location side of things, it looks a lot different how I approach something in Ohio where I'm spending all season compared to like when my buddies and I, we go to bluff country in Southwest Wisconsin, um, I'm looking at those completely different. I know that my best chance of tagging a buck in Wisconsin is going to be during the rut on a pinch point and spending as much time in the tree as possible. So like we'll make an annual scouting trip out to the public ground that we hunt and either identify more or try to understand further pinch points that we've already hunted and really just focus on those when I go out there. So like, I know that, the highest odds I have is a rut hunt in a pinch point in the hills of a non-resident state where if I'm in Ohio, this is where like the year over year really comes into play. And, um, you know, like, honestly, I'm just, I, I don't have much interest in going after younger bucks anymore. I see a lot of younger bucks and not saying that I, that, in other people's eyes that I've shot enough younger bucks to say I only want to shoot older ones it's just that I don't have an interest in that and I'd rather not fill my tag and go after one specific or a group of deer than just tag any buck because I feel like that would be an easier feat to accomplish where now I've learned tendencies from these bucks that I've been watching now for the last 2 to 3 years where they're bedded on this specific ridge during the beginning of the year and they're always going to be bedded close to like at the end of September right around opening day here in Ohio I know they're going to be really close to the white oak tree that's about to be dropping for like the next seven to ten days so well, that's why like I'll focus on things like I'm just going to go around and locate all of the white oak trees an area has to offer that I think could be close to early season buck bedding. And then I'll go back out in like early September and get that confirmation of, okay, this – oak tree that one and this other one are all producing so i can now target my focus put all my cameras in september around those few oak trees and that's what i'm going to target at the beginning of the season is like a white oak and then it'll just shift throughout um, but it's always going to be based around like that individual buck or the couple of bucks that i have that history with and i'm still pursuing of like what kind of tendencies they've told me that the mature bucks in the area are going to be doing or using
0: Hey guys, just want to take a quick minute to let you know that the How to Hunt Deer podcast is brought to you by Tacticam, makers of the best point-of-view cameras on the market for hunters and anglers. They're on the cutting edge making user-friendly cameras to help the everyday outdoorsman share your hunt with friends and loved ones. Their new 6.0 camera has a ton of upgraded features this year, but the one I'm most excited about is the new LCD touchscreen. In my mind, that's a total game changer. And one area Tacticam really shines is with their mounts and adapters that are made with the sportsman in mind. If you've tried to film your hunting and fishing excursions in the past, you know how frustrating it can be to get an action camera aimed just right or get it attached to your weapon or in a good spot for a second angle. Well, Tacticam makes all of that a breeze with their line of accessories. This fall, I'll be using their stabilizer mount on my bow with a 6.0 camera and their bendy clamp paired with a 5.0 wide camera for a second angle and to make sure I don't miss any of the action. To learn more and check out their full line of products, head over to their website, Tacticam.com. Share your hunt with Tacticam. You mentioned earlier, like the the inventory, like figuring out that the bucks are there. You're getting that on these either logging roads or terrain feature of some sort, a saddle, something like that, where you're kind of picking up like, okay, there are bucks in this area that I'm that I'm interested in. Is that right? Yeah,
1: and honestly, like for me, my my go-to um, place to get inventory on deer is through big scrapes, just like these bigger um, primary type scrapes in these keys in these key features, um, whether it be a saddle, a drainage top, or along a bench, whatever that is, uh, scrapes are good because even if that picture's in the middle of the night, in the middle of the day, it's only once, it's twice. Like at least I know that this buck is using this for some reason, and then I can begin to connect. connect the dots from there and then have a more strategic approach with any more cameras I put out to start to pick up on like how this buck is using the ridge system. So my trail cameras aren't necessarily always going to be in like anywhere remotely close to where I'm actually going to hunt. They're just kind of there to give me an idea of what's, what's going on and make sure I'm not wasting my time hunting a buck that doesn't exist.
0: Right. Right. Yeah, that's really good. I, one of the things that I did my first year here in, uh, in Georgia was hang a bunch of trail cameras out in, like, oak flats. Like, anywhere I found a bunch of good, like, oak trees that are going to be dropping soon, I hung a bunch of trail cameras. And, uh, unfortunately, I hung too many, and I didn't get back to all of them to check them. And there was one in particular that if I'd hunted it, I could have shot a mature buck. I think it was, like, any afternoon between, like, October, like, 2nd or 3rd, and like the 13th. Anywhere in that 10-day yeah. window I could have shot a, a a good buck. Um in in the afternoon. And so uh, but I I love those and they're only good for a little while but mm-hmm. they're certainly really good uh intel if you can get one in there and and be checking out what's going on just to know okay this buck is in the area cuz he didn't he didn't travel 6 miles to come find some acorns.
1: Right. Right like exactly. he's,
0: he's in there somewhere so now I just got to reverse engineer and figure out okay exactly where is he at. What are you seeing as far as you know buck bedding and how that's shifting throughout the year. There's tons of content out there on it already, so I don't want to like beat a dead horse when it comes to okay, this is what bucks do in hill country or where they like to bed. But are there any unique things that you're seeing, or or any ways that they're shifting, or maybe not shifting? That's kind of surprising, or maybe goes against the grain of what a lot of folks are talking about.
1: Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say against the grain, but like, and honestly, for me, I'm only really focusing on that bedding aspect in the earlier and the later part of the year when I feel like food is their primary focus, because in that middle part of the year, I'm more concerned on the doe bedding and like, where are the doughs eating and feeding? Because I know to some extent, those bucks are going to be close by to them where I don't, I, I think that when it's food-based mentality for these bucks that they're going to bed as close as they can to that food source they want to eat where they feel safe. So, um, you know, sometimes that is a mile walk for a buck to get to an ag field, but sometimes when there's that brief window where that white oak tree is dropping and it's like the peak time for him to be there, he may only be bedded 100 150 yards away from that oak tree if there's nobody out there bothering it. Where like in a place like Southern Ohio, I spend a lot of time out there in the earlier part of the season and I don't really see anybody until the middle to the end of October. So it's like really you can spend your first couple weeks knowing that whatever day I decide to go after this buck, like I'm going to be the first one that is hunting him this year. And I think until that happens, they're going to kind of get comfortable bedding as close as they want to that primary food that they like, which is why I feel like we see a lot of big bucks out in ag fields in the middle of the summertime, because they can bed right off the field and they're don't outside of like the occasional poacher, you know, they don't have anything to worry about. Right. Right. Yeah. The occasional poacher. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, that's a sad reality we live <laughs> it, in, but I is. had to drop that line in there because that is something that we definitely deal with here. And, um, but yeah, outside of that though, like you can just, you see bucks doing deer thing uh, the ones that you typically want it come hunting season.
0: Yeah. Let's talk about your access then. Like when you're in hill country, man, there are just, <clears throat> and I run into this, you know, consulting a bit too, and I'm sure you do as well. Access can be very, very difficult when it comes to hill country. Um, not difficult in the sense of like I don't know how I'm going to ever get there, but like you're you have to walk through the best stuff, oftentimes, or or it seems like you have to walk through the best stuff. What are some of the ways that you're getting creative with your access that keep you out of that, um, you know, maybe high deer traffic areas? And let me let me give you an example of what I'm talking about here. So all of our WMAs and a lot of our our private lands here. Uh, where I'm at in Georgia, in hill country, they have pines up top, right? And anything in the, you know, where it's too steep, they've left that as hardwoods because they couldn't timber it, essentially, too steep. So the problem is all of your roads run the ridgetops. So your upper third is 30 yards off the road on either side. You know, that's where you see a lot of deer traffic. That's where your pine trees meet your hardwoods. Like that's the good hard edge. It can be really tough, man, because if you walk down a road or you drive down a road, you've blown out that road a lot of times or at least alerted everything on the road. What are some ways you're getting creative with your access to sort of mitigate the difficulties that you find with Hill Country?
1: Yeah, so that my approach varies depending on whether it's going to be a morning or an evening. Um, For a morning perspective, like what you mentioned there, where if there's a road, um, but like I know that close to that road area or the hiking trail or whatever it is that that's a place where I'm going to be targeting a bedding area to hunt that I know those deer are going to be coming back to. I'm okay with just walking through that in the morning. Um, when I'm on a piece of public land, I, w- I want to make sure I preface with that because it's a different approach. If I'm weighing out a property for a private landowner, or I'm hunting a sanctuary piece of my own, but if I'm on a piece of public land and I'm targeting a specific bedding area and going in there in the morning, that means I have enough confidence to hunt that because that's the only time I'll do a morning hunt is if I'm going in for the kill. And I'll just walk through the area where I know they're coming back to bed because I One, I know they're not going to be in there because I'll get out there really early and they're still going to be working their way back up to the top of the hill. And two, by the time they catch any ground scent or my scent that's pulling up the ridge, uh, it's going to be too late because I'm there to get that one specific buck that I think is coming back to this bedding area. Uh, So I'm kind of fine with just blowing it up in the morning because it's just more of like a one and done type of thing. Now in the evening, this is where I really like to get creative and use the terrain to my advantage and just go into the places for my access where I have a high level of confidence that the deer are not going to be navigating vertically. So this can be those steep washouts. Um, it can be the drainages like the the drainage ravines that have the rock bed in the center of it that occasionally have the water flow when we get the heavy rainfalls. Um, anything like that where I'm really confident the deer aren't going to travel vertically, I like to access up those and get to the first flat elevation spot that is like my target area. So in the case of like a drainage or a washout on the side of the hill, finding a way to scale that right to the flat where we were talking about earlier where you know you can have that condensed movement because if a deer wants to get from one side of that to the other, they have to come right in front of you. But now I didn't leave any ground scent and it's usually steep enough that relatively early in the day you're going to get a nice downward thermal pull if you set up right on that very steep elevation point which allows you to pretty much hunt an area undisturbed so that's that's like been my best way to repeatedly hunt areas um is accessing the very steep and almost unnavigable places and then just hunting right on the edge of it. Um, Now that can look different um, depending on where it is and like who you're talking to but like I'll bring my trekking poles. Like I get my setup now where I can strap everything to my back. Once I get to that steep climb and then I have collapsible trekking poles, I'll keep in my bag and I'll pull those out and I'll help. I'll have those help me get up. I've heard of guys like tying ropes off to trees and kind of shimmying their way up these things. But it's like, it's definitely not something you would look at and be like, Oh yeah, I can just climb that. You know, it's something that you <laughs> kind of look at and be like, do I actually want to climb that? Cause yeah. this is kind of crazy, but those are typically the better access that I found.
0: Right. So if it if it doesn't make you make you like question yourself for a second, it's probably not good enough.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's like uh <laughs> the good check is like would my mom be disappointed if I was climbing up this ridge right ah, now? If, if if mom doesn't approve, that means it's probably a good access route to kill your body. <laughs> I like
0: that, man. Would my family members be concerned? If you yep. <laughs> if they see me doing this, that's good. That's good. So, um I'm assuming you're staying on the lower side of that then, so like that brings up a whole other issue of setup. So I'm curious how you're navigating some of that. Cause if you're staying on the lower side, that always makes me nervous when, you know, when it's steeper. And I feel like I've, you know, I'm weighing that option of like, okay, I can stay on the lower side of it and, you know, have my wind kind of blowing right back down behind me and be good to go. Or I can come in on a different kind of thought process with the thermals cross that, that, trail very quickly right there in the one spot, banking on shooting lanes on either side of that. How often are you staying low and are you ever going high? Uh,
1: majority of the time I am staying low just because I value not leaving that ground scent. Like if right. I'm getting into a place that like in, in an access like this, that we're talking about, I'm hunting that area. Um, ideally a couple of times if possible, because I, I found that like these bucks I go after, like they go on a bigger cycle through the hills. So just because I didn't see them on that one hunt doesn't mean that they're not there. Literally, it happened to me this year. The buck that I was after, um, I hunted it on November 1st and November 2nd, and he showed up on November 3rd. And like it would have been right there, game over, had him on trail camera, um, but I just I know they go in cycle, so like ideally I don't want to put my ground scent down because I know that there's a chance that he's still going to come through there. But if the situation does happen where I have to cross that trail, I'm just making sure that wherever I am crossing over, where I think the deer are walking, is going to be beyond where I'm my shot opportunity lies. So like, if I have to cross, I'm making sure I'm doing it in a place where if that deer gets to my ground set, I've already had the opportunity to shoot him before he's able to sniff and get out of there.
0: Right. Right. No, that's, that's really, really good. I, it, it always makes me nervous to set up on the downhill side of deer, but oftentimes that's where you're better off. Like just find a tree with good cover, you know, make sure you're being super still, obviously. Yep. Um, hopefully you're hunting out of a saddle or some other low profile kind of equipment or, you know, some kind of way where you could just get up sky high. I mean, maybe you're in a, in a climber or something like that. And you can just get up so high that it, you know, you're out of their peripheral anyway, but uh, how often, or I've got so many thoughts swirling around right now because of what you just said. I love that you made the point that bucks in hill country will oftentimes be like on this bigger circuit. It's like they're, they're not coming through there every day. It's not like, in farm country where you're like, oh, he comes through this pinch point every single day. Well, that's because he has to. You know, <laughs> there, there is no other food source and there are no other bedding areas in, in farm country. He, he's got to cut through there. In hill country, though, man, they'll come through three, four. It's the same thing in marsh country, too, every three or four days. It's like you have them kind of pass through using this specific route. So I'm curious, you know, what? how many of those pass throughs are you able to get away with? And how are you seeing a buck adjust whenever whenever you do spook him, like, let's say you had been there November 3rd and you whiffed the shot. What are you banking on him doing as a, as a response to you spooking him?
1: Uh, Likely then, like what I'm going to do is try to target a different area on that circuit. And I'm just going to kind of like cross that one off. I'll probably still like run the trail camera around there just because I'd like to collect that data to know, but, I don't think that it's worth me putting a hunt at something in an area where I've already spooked him because it's easy enough for him to make a micro adjustment. And even if like, that's the thing about the hill country is if you're off, by in the types of areas i'm hunting if you're off by 50 yards not only are you not going to get a shot opportunity but you might never you might not know that that buck walked through um because just the nature of the vegetation and the terrain and everything like that so you have to be so dialed in that i would rather just wait for a different type of wind or whatever it may be a week or so down the road and hunt a completely different part of that circuit than try to bank on going back into that same little area thinking he's going to come back in there again, Uh, pretty much regardless if I get an opportunity or not. I don't know. It's just like something that the more time you spend hunting like an area and you start to understand it, you can kind of feel whether or not like you've you blew that spot out you can tell by just like how many deer do you see how many other little critters do you see running around because it's all one big thing i feel like in like the big woods where those critters aren't really used to people whether it's a squirrel whether it's a little bobcat whether it's a deer or whatever they're not used to seeing people and eventually when somebody's stinking up an area long enough like the woods is a lot quieter. You don't, you're not seeing squirrels. Uh, You don't hear any of the owls hooting at night on your way out. And it's like, "Eh, I think the spot's done. It's time to move on. And it's just like a weird gut feeling. I guess I get that I'm ready to split.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So when it comes to, you know, returning again and again to these, these areas, like, how long are you thinking, I mean, because these circuits that these bucks are running, right, every couple of days, how long are you going to give him before you, I mean, assuming that a spot you don't feel like is burned out, it's, you're just waiting on it, right? Like, you, you still feel like it's just a matter of time. How long until that just a matter of time starts to fade for you and you're like, okay, he's, he's moved on to something different?
1: Yeah. And that, that's going to vary depending on location. Um, and like particularly what the deer density in the area is. I feel like if there, if it's a lower deer density, that circuit could be wider. Um, like where I still hunt up in Michigan's upper peninsula. It's nothing to get, I could get the same buck on camera, but it'll take him seven days before he's going to show back up, but he might show up in four. So I'm fine with hunting that on day four, five, six, and seven, because that's a super low deer density area. I know he's one of the only deer that use that travel pattern and I'm fine with just going and going and going because every day he's not there is one day closer until he shows back up where if I'm in an area with a little bit higher deer density and I might have some other deer come through that area uh, then I might, have a little bit shorter leash where I'm only going to be doing it for a couple of days before I kind of pull out and go somewhere else. Got it. And not saying that that's foolproof because I've also had times like this year where I hunted on the first and second. And if I would have hung around for the third, I would have had a great big buck, but I didn't. So (laughs) what are you going to (laughs) do?
0: How big are we talking there?
1: Man, he was big. He's big enough that I don't want to share pictures with anybody. And we'll just leave Ah, it at that.
0: Okay. All right. All right. So big enough, big enough. That's a good answer. Big
1: big enough because I I still had a daylight picture of him at the end of December and I have pretty good confirmation that he's still around for next year and still not sharing those trail cam pictures. He's big enough for that.
0: Yeah, man. Hold on to those. So, um, you've got so, so, so much of, of my thinking right now, I'm thinking back to Wisconsin and though we're talking about, um, though we're talking about, you know, hill country, I'm thinking back to my rut hunt this past year. And I've got one spot in mind that even though there, there is no topography, hardly there's like just enough. And I come up off the bank here and I just slip into a tree and I don't cross the path. And so like, it's bringing into my mind this spot where I zipped the back of a deer this, this past fall. And it's, it's very painful, but I'm getting pretty fired up. I'm pretty excited about it. So when it comes to these little locations, If I can just put all of this back together, right, and and correct me if I'm wrong on any of this, putting it all back together, you've started out probably, you know, doing some map scouting, finding those big picture features, right? You found your benches, your saddles, your, you know, third ridge sides or, you know, whatever, finding those big picture things. You've put out your trail cameras. You've located the deer that you're wanting to go after. You've put more boots on the ground. You've found those micro features that are maybe washouts in different parts of the, of the, you know, the, the circuit, let's call it of, of deer movement in those spots, those micro features. Like let's say I find a washout that gets me kind of in the neighborhood. Maybe I'm 200 yards from where I'm getting this buck uh, on a, on a scrape or I'm 300 yards from where I'm getting this buck on a scrape. There's a washout that comes up at the top of that. There's a really good deer trail. Not a lot of deer sign though, right there, no rubs, no scrapes, nothing. Are you going to still give that one the time of day or is buck sign King?
1: I'll still give that one the time of day for sure. Um, More so like the, on a year over year perspective. So there's like some places now that since I've lived down here and I've spent more time in the Hills that I've been collecting that trail cam data for a couple of years to have a pretty good idea of, okay, um, I I'm getting pictures of this buck at on this scrape at the bottom of this thermal hub, you know, let's say 10 times throughout the fall. And then when I can go and log the data, like there's some really good apps out there now where you can figure out wind direction and different weather features of what's going on uh, for those trail cam data picks. And then I can kind of backtrack, okay, where would he be coming from? And then I can go in like this time of year and find that buck bed and the whole way in between that primary scrape that I only get night pictures and his buck bedding area out on the point that i find that's just tore up with buck rubs there's nothing in between that and if you scouted any of that ridge side you would have no idea that that buck was living there but Mm. through the trail cam data and through the off-season scouting i at least know where that buck is heading to on that thermal hub scrape and i know where he's bedding out up on top of that point now all i'm trying to do is figure out okay that buck beds here, let's use it, southwest wind, for example. He beds here on a southwest wind, and by 8.30 p.m., he's hitting this thermal hub scrape. So those last couple of hours, he's somewhere in between these two points. I'll take that route as many times as I need to to find a place where I feel like he's walking that I can go out there and hunt him. So that's where I'm trying to connect those micro features where – everybody and their brother might overlook it. But when I know the two most important things where he started and where he's going, I know that he's going to hit one of these micro features along the way. And if I can have a setup on that micro feature, I'll, I'll hang, I'll put everything I own on me killing a buck at that spot, because that's where I know he's coming um, whether or
0: not they're signed or not. Right. So let's, let's, think about an area maybe that's just really, really difficult to get into, or maybe just time of year doesn't line up. Uh, You kind of know where the buck is, right? Like, you, you know where he's bedding, you know where his, you know, maybe that first scrape or maybe that first set of oaks is when he gets up out of his bed or something along those lines. If there's nothing along that line of movement, maybe it's really, really difficult for you to get into that specific spot. How close is close enough for one of these micro features before you'll you know, maybe throw a hunt at it. Cause I'm assuming mid season, you probably don't want to go in there and hang a trail camera, you know, without throwing a hunt at it. Like how close is close enough to confirmed information? Are we talking, do I need to be within 300 yards of where I know he's been 400 yards, 500 yards? Like what does that proximity look like? Just trying to, because everybody, no matter what your strategy is, there are times when you're just throwing darts at a wall, right? Like you're, you're literally, you're just trying to find this thing and where he's traveling. So like, how, what's that proximity that makes you think, okay, this micro feature is worth a shot, even though I don't have all the data. Hmm. Or are you, know, you even going to make that call? Are you going to say, Nope, I need the data first.
1: Honestly, like for me, just at, at this stage of my life, like where I am with the amount of time I actually have to hunt during the fall, I don't really want to sit in a tree stand with my bow in hand if I don't feel like I have a beyond reasonable doubt that I'm going to have a chance at that buck that day or within the next couple of days. So I would almost rather, even if it's spending more time in season scouting, like I would rather do that. And, you know, it could be to my own demise. I don't know. Maybe I am missing out on these opportunities by not having a little more hope and hunting a micro feature that I think I may be able to tag that buck. But I don't know. I just, I feel like, Unless I can connect those dots, like I don't really feel like I want to throw a hunt at that. As far as the distance goes, like it could be a few hundred yards away or it could be right below his bedding area. Um, It's just more so like what do I feel is the most plausible path for him to take? And that's going to change so much from one ridge to the other because – one ridge maybe might not have any washouts and one might have six or seven where he has to loop around every single one and then come down the back end of that ridge where this other one that doesn't have any washouts he can basically walk a straight line from the bed to down to that scrape so it's going to vary depending on that location but like unless i feel like that is a place he would visit from bed to that desired location. I'm not really going to target anything like that. And and again, like this is only if, I'm hunting that buck when I think he's bedded there, which is a very unique circumstance. And it's like, it's definitely not something I even tell people, like, don't even really get into this type of hunting because you're going to fail so much and you're going to feel like a complete (laughs) idiot that like, I don't think you, if you want it to be a confident hunter, this is not the thing to get into because you're going to look like a fool more times than not. But man, when it works, it's like the best feeling in the world.
0: Right. Right. All right. Last question for you. And if I don't ask this one, there will be people who are, are sad that I didn't. I'm looking at Hill Country. I want to find some buck betting. I want to find my, my starting points, right? That, those are going to be my starting points. Where am I looking first?
1: I'm always looking out on the point of a ridge. And so anywhere, obviously that that ridge comes to a point and it doesn't have to be right at the point. It doesn't have to be at the top. It could be 50 feet down from the top. It could be a couple hundred yards around one bend or the other. There could be five different beds on that point for one buck. It's just that I find the most beds on anything that resembles like that point shape, and you do have to do a little bit of exploring when you're there. I always like to look for whether it's a blowdown or a little briar thicket, anything that's going to give that buck any kind of break up back cover where he can't be seen visually. That's usually around that point. But by and large, the most common place I'm finding buck beds is out on points.
0: Right. So for a, for efficiency's sake, let's say. You know, I get into into some of those points that are maybe a little bit larger scale. Um, And you look at it, you're like, man, it's going to take me forever to walk up and down and zig and zag to get back and forth. Is there a sign that you're looking for to lead you there where you're like, okay, this, I see some rubs and scrapes and stuff like we got to, I got to really spend some time on this ridge. Or are you going to just check every single one regardless so that you can, you know, make sure you've turned every stone?
1: myself personally uh, i'll check everyone regardless so like i kind of have changed my approach recently for if like i want to make sure i'm very uh very upfront about like what is my goal of this scouting trip and if all i'm doing is trying to find buck beds then i'm only going to scout the top of ridges and i'm Mm. only going to go and look at places i think that there's bucks bedded so I'm not going to scout it a traditional way and try to break down this entire ridge and have that up and down, up and down elevation. That's just going to wear you out. I'm going to stay on that top area where I think the bucks are going to be bedded and I'll scout as much of that as possible. Um, But if you're talking about from an efficiency standpoint, I would just say that like trying to connect the macro of why would a buck be bedded in this point, whether it's like, this on the map looks like there is dough bedding here, or this was just a recent logging cut where it's closer to an agricultural field, whatever that may be a better reason than like, that's how I'd pick one point over another. But for somebody like myself, I would rather just say, okay, today I'm going to go out and I'm going to try to find as many buck beds as possible. And I'm only going to look on points. So I might be able to go and look at, you know, 10 to 12 points of ridges if I can spend the whole daylight hours doing that and see how many buck beds I can find. And then I'll go back, review that, all of that data and say, okay, now where are they going do I have trail cameras out that told me where they were or is this a new area? And then I start to kind of just piece it together in there. So it's like just this nonstop cycle of always trying to connect the next thing.
0: Right. So not necessarily worrying too much about the efficiency piece at that point. You're just kind of, you're going to see what you need to see. And, yeah. it's gonna and take that's, the time and, you takes. know, that's,
1: that's me. That's how I am though. You know, like right. I spend, if it's not for work, laying out somebody's property, if I have a free day, I'm going out and I'm scouting just because right. that, that's what I love to do. And I don't get sick of it. I don't get tired of it. And I would rather just spend time figuring this out because that's just, that's my big hobby. And that's what I like to I enjoy doing it.
0: Right. And I, I find for myself when I get too concerned with efficiency and have too long of a list of things I'm trying to get to in a day, that's when I get sloppy. That's when I. Yeah. That's when I'm not doing my best work when I'm out Definitely. scouting for myself. And usually, if I'm scouting for myself and not with a landowner, those days are like few and far between right now. You know. Yeah. And so I try to make the most of them, but I ended up, I end up almost wasting the day because I I didn't just let things simmer when when I needed to and and didn't yeah. let. You know, didn't let it just take the time that it's going to take. So, well, Greg, man, thank you so, thank you so much for joining me for this episode. This was very, very informative. Uh, where can folks find more from you and everything you've got going on? I know your social media is kind of, kind of a little wild right now.
1: Yeah, uh, so I do say, I do say, really active on my Instagram. I try to post as many tips as I can on there. Um, Now that it is scouting season, I'm going to have a lot more coming out just about like some of the stuff I'm finding in the field, uh, how I'm breaking down setups when I'm working on clients' properties. But my Instagram is whitetail underscore partners underscore Ohio. If you have any kind of specific questions about uh, whether it's just working with me virtually, uh, figuring out things in the woods that you hunt, or you want me to come on your property, go ahead and shoot me an email, Ohio at whitetailpartners.com.
0: Awesome. Well, Greg, thank you so much for your time, buddy. I appreciate it. Thank you. That's all for this week's episode. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. If you dig this show, be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever it is that you get your podcasts. If you could leave us a five star review, I would very much appreciate that. While you're at it, you can follow along with my outdoor adventures on Instagram at How to Hunt Deer. That's also the best way to get a hold of me, suggest topics that you want to hear, guests you want to hear from, or questions that you'd like me to explore on the show. Big thanks to our partners, Tacticam, Huntworth, and Onyx. Please go support the brands that support this show and help me bring you great content each and every week. If you're looking for more outdoor content, check out thesportsmansempire.com where you're going to find my other podcast, The Wisconsin Sportsman, as well as a ton of other awesome outdoor podcasts.